We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and look at Judaism through the lens of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, the Michael Jordan to your Scotty Pippen. Ooh, wow. All right. I was hoping for Rodman, but sure. And we have a special guest this week with us, the uh, Tony Kukoc of our group, <laughs> the great Rabino, Rabbi Jeremy Fine. How's it going? I'll take Kukoc, by the way. He was clutch, and he was academically, I think, the smartest of the entire team. So I'll take it. <laughs> not, not on the dream team, though. Uh, he, was on his, he was the leader of his own team. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we brought in... Uh, Rabbi Jeremy Fine, uh, this week, our, our resident Chicago Bulls experts, uh, because this week we're talking about the ESPN documentary series, The Last Dance, focusing on the great Bulls team of the 1990s, the uh, six-time champion Bulls, uh, of course, led by Jordan. Uh, this series... Well, it tries to focus on the Bulls and the last dance, that final championship team of 1998 with a ton of great flashbacks. Uh, and it talks about Pippen, and it talks about Dennis Rodman, it talks about Phil Jackson, uh, it talks about Jerry Krause, it talks about uh, even a little bit of Horace Grant in there. Uh, it's really... The great, the great villain, Isaiah Thomas. It, it really is, though, uh, a series about Jordan, uh, the greatest basketball player who ever lived, uh, without a doubt. Um, and so I want to turn it over to our resident Get, get into first. Jesse's mentions to tell him how you feel about that. What, what, is LeBron going to at me? Come on. How many championships has LeBron won? He, 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 tried to, he tried to buy himself a championship going to Miami Heat, and they were barely as successful as Kobe and Shaq were. All right, all right. We're not going to dunk on LeBron in this. We're going to just uh, have Jordan dunk on everybody. All right. So let's turn it over to our Chicago Bulls fan, Jeremy Fine. Uh, besides the nostalgia of remembering those uh, mid-90s teams, what was it like being a Bulls fan and watching the show? Being a Bulls fan and watching I mean, I never wanted it to end. And I said after the first two, I was like, uh, I really want to know what happens next even though i was living it i lived it it already happened um and very close to home should there be a sequel of when he goes to the wizards no we don't talk about that that did not happen everything else about jordan's life and career is on the table to discuss uh there's no doubt he is the greatest player um the most clutch player uh i think it's one if i'm honest i think bill russell is two and then there's a laundry list of people you can make the claim for three through ten but that's, uh, I don't even think it's close. And I think you saw that in this documentary. I mean, just imagine them making a LeBron documentary 
oh, and then he decided to go here, and then he decided to play with his friends, and then he decided to party. And off the court, LeBron is incredibly impressive for individual. On the court, he's probably the second greatest physical specimen behind Will Chamberlain. You can make a case for Shaq, but uh, but it's Jordan did miss a free throw with food poisoning and still won an NBA Finals game. I mean, LeBron would. Uh, I don't even think it'd be close. I don't. I don't even think it's close. Um, so it was amazing watching it. Uh, it was uh, nostalgic. It was an incredible understanding of uh, leadership and different ways in one can lead. The best uh, line was it where that, you know, if, if you want to win with me, you, you know, you can follow. And if you want me to guide you, okay. But if you want to play somewhere else, that's okay too. Just I'm going in one direction. Whoever wants to come with me, jump on my back and let's do this. I mean, he definitely brought the the best out of all of the supporting characters, right, on the team. Uh, that he Most. made, he 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 made these guys into stars. Uh, Horace Grant, when he went to the Orlando Magic, uh, was not able to do with Shaq what he was able to do as a supporting cast member for those Bulls teams. So he's he went to they went to a finals. And he almost went to a second finals with Horace Grant. Horace Grant was a great player. He's in the shadow, I think, more of Rodman than he is of Jordan. Um, and Horace Grant is a, a beloved member of the you know Chicago Bulls dynasties, plural. Uh, but he he was great. He, the, the 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 crux, I think, really of much of the Last Dance, which isn't as much talked about, is how great was Scottie Pippen. And that's a huge question mark. I think you saw how great Dennis Rodman was. He was a different personality or how impressive Steve Kerr and the Judd Bushlers and even the Randy Browns, Ron Harpers of the world, where they didn't have as big a role, but they, they knew their role and they fit their role and they did it well. Pippen uh, is the most controversial. And by the way, growing up in, the, in Chicago in those suburbs, Pippen was the most controversial personality. And I think he was the most controversial person in this entire uh, video more so than than Jerry Krause. Well, I think that a, a couple of points that you raised there, I think stuck out to me. And the first is, you know, when, when we had that little uh, interchange about Jordan and LeBron, um, one of the things that, that the last dance raises and that you raise is, you know, Jordan's franchise loyalty, Jordan's uh, city loyalty. Um, and, and I, I think that that's significant. You know, if you talk about like, what are the, what are the values or, or, or conversations around values to have about, you know, that Chicago Bulls team and about Michael Jordan um, is his, you know, uh, commitment to, to place. Uh, that, but the additional question you raised, which I think is a really interesting one, is, you know, like off the court, you know, what has LeBron done and where has he stood and what has he said and spoken out for and what Michael Jordan uh, decidedly didn't, right? And they actually had this, I thought it was apocryphal, but they actually had a whole, uh, sec a whole sequence in, in the documentary about Jordan's comment that, you know, Republicans buy sneakers too, right? And, right, uh, and when, refusing when... To, uh, to endorse and campaign for uh, Gann, who would have been the, the first uh, African-American senator from North Carolina. Right, and so and we, Jesse and I talked about this when we uh, had our episode about Taylor Swift, which is, you know, what is, what is the role 
of you know of, of celebrity of the magnitude of a of a Taylor Swift or a Michael Jordan. Not necessarily uh, saying that those two are equivalent. Um, although I don't know, Taylor Swift I think is the Michael Jordan of the of the pop music game, and or Michael Jordan is is the Taylor Swift of the NBA. Uh, I'd say Justin Timberlake, but you're not <laughs> far off. Uh, so you know, so what is it, given the fact that you have you know uh, influence and platform, uh, what what responsibility do you have recognizing that? You, utilizing that responsibility is, is inevitably going to alienate some portion of people who look up to you. Um, and so that, that question stood out to me in, in the documentary too. The third thing is, you know, in, in conversation about Jordan bringing out the best in all the players, I don't know. I, I think that Phil Jackson is the secret sauce there. I think that, uh, the, and I think the documentary makes a really great case about it, that, that Jordan was a one-man show until Phil Jackson got there. Uh, and then, uh, and then, Phil Jackson taught Michael Jordan, uh, first of all, like how to want a winning team uh, and then like how to be a part of winning team. So it's really Phil Jackson's influence that enabled Jordan to get the best out of all the people around him. Yeah, so I can respond to all three. Uh, the commitment piece is huge uh, in terms of loyalty. I think it's why Kobe was is so beloved, uh, especially in today's world. It means a lot. And let's, again, let's remove the Wizards for, I mean, he went to play for Jerry Reinsdorf's baseball team. He didn't have to do that, right? He's not from Chicago. Uh, and even the Bulls took by uh, Derrick Rose, which um, is, in, is, is probably its own documentary. But, but the commitment uh, is huge. And I think, listen, I think LeBron didn't have to leave Cleveland originally the way he did. And I think that's what alienated me from him as a fan and I, and I always believed he was going back to Cleveland. I think he left so that they could lose miserably and get draft picks and have a better team. He can go play with his friends, as he said once. Like, it was like college for him. I do, but then he left for the Lakers. So had he stayed in Cleveland after just a small stint in Miami, I could have forgiven him as a player. But I, I don't – like – and then he brings the – he's like he has to have the second and third best player in the league around him or he can't win a championship. And Jordan brought along, he had great teams around him, but Pippen, my mind, Pippen's overrated. Okay. And I say that as a devout Bulls fan, right? I, uh, I think ESPN just listed him as like the 22nd best player. I think he's in like the forties, but I don't think he's like, he wasn't trusted when it was clutch. Kukoc is a great clutch player, but if you're the man on that team, you get the ball. There's a reason Phil chose not to give him the ball. Right. Um, Number two, politics. You know, in the 80s, especially then, before there were like major leaderships and brands and things that we knew, I don't fault him for not standing up. He said he made a donation. He listened to his mother. We know very much so as rabbis that when we take a, van a stand of any sort, it could be what we're serving for kiddish lunch. We're going to get negative feedback and how we deal with that and stay positive. It's complicated. Um, now imagine the magnitude <laughs> of the first greatest, the first great basketball player ever, you know, like that has media around him and following him. And he, he, I, were, look at what he does in his hotel. He just wants to be left alone. He wants to live at some point in normal life. You know, um, I, I, I also wonder how different, and it's really hard for me to think back of what was expected of celebrities Right. Um, so especially, you know, celebrities of color uh, 20 plus years ago. Uh, but 30. You, you, you look at 
um, Colin Kaepernick, right? And that he's been blacklisted by NFL owners for doing what you can argue is the most effective and efficient way to peacefully protest uh, systemic racism and police brutality in this country. And we, we look at what's going on in our country right now in, in protests uh, from coast to coast. And, um, you know, did, did Jordan fear being cast aside by Reinsdorf? Did, did, did he fear uh, being cast aside by the city of Chicago if he took a stand that some would not agree with? But I, see, I think that the that the that the analogies are not so close. I mean, because first of all, we 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 do live in a different time now, and still, you're right. We have uh, those clear examples, Colin Kaepernick being being a huge one. But uh, and I say this with all respect to Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick is no Michael Jordan, right? And uh, and so when LeBron is outspoken about uh, racial injustice, when Kobe was outspoken about racial injustice. Um, it, it, it didn't blacklist them in the same way that it blacklisted Colin Kaepernick, I think in part because, uh, because their, their success was on the court and it spoke for itself and, uh, and it, was, it would have been a huge, uh, a, a huge, the downside for teams cutting them because of their political views would have been so significant, um, which is like, was not the case for the, for the 49ers or other teams that, that you know, use Colin Kaepernick. Now I say, I'm not necessarily excusing the NFL's behavior towards Colin Kaepernick, right? But, um, but I, I am in some way kind of indicting Jordan's decision to stay silent. Here is the most prominent, successful, popular uh, African-American man probably in history. Um, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and I'm not sure what the, what the fear was for him being out, for, for being outspoken about uh, some of those uh, issues, except for the possibility of, of a loss of, 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 of some income. So Mike, it's, it's also personality driven. I'll tell a brief story about Jordan. Okay. So a few, uh, probably like 10 years ago, I think we were in rabbinical school. Um, Jordan showed up at my buddy's softball game. They happened to be playing against Brian Urlacher's team. He just showed up, pulled up in his, probably his Ferrari. I'm making that up. I know he has a Ferrari, so I'm just assuming it was a Ferrari. He pulls up, and he asked the other team to play. He said, can I play with you guys? And my friends were like, uh, yeah, you're Michael Jordan. Of course you can play. And he's smoking a cigar on the bench. My buddy's, like, filming the whole thing, and he sent it to him. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even know what I would do. And so Jordan is a very unassuming person. He, it's not like Oprah, where he used his voice to build a platform that's bigger than anyone could imagine. Jordan had a specific skill. <laughs> that sounds like uh, Liam Neeson. But he, but he has a specific skill set, and it didn't involve – he became a very well-spoken orator as time went on because, he, because of his branding and all that stuff. And, but but he, that was never his platform. So to ask him to stand up for things, he may feel differently. I don't know. I'm not putting words in his mouth, but to ask him to stand up for things that he feels or not, I'm not sure is right when he didn't sign on for that. And it's, and especially back then it's not today when you're a celebrity, you know that every tweet and every post is going to matter because you have hundreds of thousands of people who will hear it within a second, right? When you and I go Instagram live, we're lucky if we have 12 people, 
when Johnny Bananas from Real World goes, he instantly has thousands. And that's an MTV star, let alone Michael Jordan, right? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> exactly. Then <laughs> the pop culture show needs a, a punch in the, in the gut. Um, you know, I, I wonder, I, I appreciate what you're saying, Jeremy, that he was uncomfortable. Um, then, that's 30 then, years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, in some ways, uncomfortable in the spotlight, right? He was, he was comfortable on, on the court, but uncomfortable in front of cameras. You know, I, I think about... When he the, didn't, when it wasn't his role. Right. But I also think about the burden that he placed upon himself, uh, that if you looked at that, that 98 championship team uh, and, and even the, um, the, the last of the first three, Pete, the 93 championship team, um, yeah. he didn't really even celebrate when they won. Uh, that 93 championship team, I mean, he exhaled, right? It, it was almost more of a relief that they – one than a celebration that they won. And I wonder if that speaks to also the burden of being the greatest and the burden of being uh, a leader, right? That if you fail to succeed, you feel it in your gut that much harder uh, than if you're not striving to be the best. Also take it, Jesse. Uh, I believe you had a sabbatical, correct? I'm still, I'm still waiting for mine. Oh, Mike, have you had one? Not yet. Okay. So I had a mini one. I can tell you the first day of my sabbatical was the biggest breath I have ever taken. Okay. Because we hold so much. And imagine Jordan at that time being like the only one and the greatest to ever do it. And media is just coming alive. Imagine that kind of burden. He didn't ask to make political statements. He's been pretty apolitical his whole life. Um, he, 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 and I'll, I will, um, fault him for what LeBron is incredible doing, which is pumping money back into charities and society in really, really noticeable and meaningful ways. Not, they're not self-serving the way he's given back to the city of Cleveland financially. And Jordan hasn't done any of that. I mean, not on any of that. He hasn't done it in a way in which we can note, sure. right? I think he's made some donations that are big, but. That's just not who he is. He loved, uh, he's given to his kids. His kids have livelihoods very much because of him. Um, and he's given to his parents and to the city in, in other ways. But again, I don't, I don't know that that's who he is. And like, listen, we have rabbinical friends who chose not to go into the pulpit a lot because they don't really want to make statements. They just want to teach Torah. I think that's okay. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, you're you're raising you, you raise a really really I think good and interesting point. And there's you know, there's another aspect to this uh, question, Jesse, about you know Jordan's greatness and and the and the burdens and challenges of greatness, which is you know, especially as I was watching you know some of the documentary that the the the, um, the other figure that kept on coming into my mind was Steve Jobs, right? The you know the certain you know people who are um, who are who are so driven to be the best, the most dominant uh, in their field, uh, to to uh, create something extraordinary and, and lasting, uh, and believe uh, or come to believe that uh, that that the only way to do it um, is 
to be demanding of the people around them um, in such a way that um, is not always respectful of the people around them, right? To, I, I'm trying to beat around the bush here, but like, but you know, is the cost of being great also being a jerk? Like, do those things right. have to go together? Right. Jordan's teammates, right, admitted that in this documentary that that, that he was he was a, a jerk a lot of the time uh, and demanded uh, a lot from them, uh, expected that they were going to play as hard and practice as hard and work as hard as he was willing to do. Uh, it's sort of a question of, right, it's, it's the, the egotism versus humility question, right? The Rabbi Simcha Bonham, uh, one piece of paper in each pocket. And at times you pull out the piece of paper that says, uh, this world was created for my sake. Uh, a reminder that we are great, a reminder that we are a blessing, a reminder that we have talents and skills and, and a work, can make a worthwhile contribution to this world. Uh, and at times we pull out the piece of paper that says, I am but dust and ashes, uh, a, a punch in the gut to remind us to be humble. Uh, humility is in some ways so much a part of what our faith teaches us, right? That, 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 that we do not strive to be uh, greater than our brothers and sisters, let alone greater than God, that uh, the kippah we wear in our heads, it, it, the, the head coverings, is to be a reminder that there is a being above us and we are not the greatest. Um, I wonder if Jordan never took out that other piece of paper, uh, was not reminded that he is but dust and ashes and was just telling himself that the world was created for his sake. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I, I think Jordan's humility... Um, uh, you know, people don't say that about him in college. He remember the stories that we heard very on was like he came into a league that he thought this was going to be more serious, and guys were drinking at halftime. And so, you know, all of us, for those of us who have had to spend time cleaning up, help cleaning up organizations, whether we're on a board or whether we're we're working for it, you know. Um, when you when you find that right person at the right time in the right scenario, they get really passionate about it. And there's some people who just he wants to be the best. Now he he he. I think part of the question is was what you're what you're asking, Mike, is that did his greatness get in the way of him just being a nice guy? And times it did. And by the way, that's part of being a boss. Sometimes, like I always use this analogy. Have you ever met anyone who says? they were fired and it was justified. Never. No, no one ever is like, yeah, they should have fired me. Right. And so they're always blaming the person who fired them. Right. I can't believe they wanted me to do this or they expected me to, even if, or, or, and, and, and as rabbis, it's even harder because we're trying to be compassionate. And if you ever have to let someone go on your staff for whatever reason, the person's not going to be happy. So Jordan understood that, he wasn't going to make people happy along the way. And he had a choice. He could either win or, or make people happy or try to do both, which I think is what he did. And that's why he became apolitical, not a, you know, not the guy who's like this celebratory, but like if you watch like his, his eulogy for Kobe, I mean, it was so compassionate and, and uh, he was so present in the moment and it was beautiful because he did care for those around him. He was willing to give back his time. He just doesn't want to be a political activist. And I don't, 
I don't fault him for that. But I don't, I don't yeah. know if it's about being a political activist as much as it's the importance of humility in our lives. I mean, I, I hate to, to get dark for a second, but probably the, the one moment where he truly experienced humility, and I don't want to speak for him, was following the murder of his, his father. Um, and, and so much so that he was emotionally exhausted uh, and it uh, drove him away from, from the game, which was the only other thing that, that he knew. I mean, he talks about in this documentary how he started to play baseball because uh, – you know, it was his father's dream for him to be a professional baseball player and his love for baseball he connected to, his love for his dad and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but, I, but I also think that um, if we don't constantly practice humility, something can happen to us that is so humbling uh, that it, it's, it, it gets us at our core uh, and we don't know how to find that balance because we're so imbalanced. So this is Pop Torah, right? I'm going to ask you a Jewish question. Some of our greatest biblical leaders, Moshe, Sarah, um, maybe Abraham was a little, uh, had a little humility. I don't know that Sarah laughed in God's face. Moshe, when was, when was the moment in which Moshe turned around and was like, listen, I'm not oh, the Moshe bees did, Moshe didn't oh, want Mo to be the leader. Yeah, Moshe. Uh, so There's Moshe. a difference between being scared to be a leader and being, is he humble enough? To say, I, mean, I can't do this. Moshe, I mean, Moshe is 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 literally named in in the Torah as being the most humble person who ever lived. Your question is like, is that ever evidenced anywhere in the Torah? Right. I would argue that what what Jesse pointed to is is pretty good evidence. Not that he was scared of leadership, but he he honestly did not think that he was qualified or capable of of doing it. But when um, he starts leading, so that's true, maybe of Jordan as well, right? When Jordan came into the league, he's the third pick. He he had a great college career, but at the greatest, he wasn't sure if he should come out yet. And Dean Smith won. So he has some of that back and forth. And then when he realizes he's the leader, when does Moshe stop and say, like, really, let's give, you know, like, he's pissed. He hits the rock. He's pissed. Come to my tent. It takes someone else to tell him, like, listen, you got to give some – some leadership to other people to, to be a better leader. Right. Well, I think, I mean, listen, I think that what you're talking about, and I think that this may be true of, of Jordan, other, you know, greatest of all time kind of figures is that fueling their greatness is on some level, a, a, a deep sense of insecurity. Right. Yes. And so, and so the, the, the anger, the demandingness, you know, comes out uh, in a way because you, you cannot, um, you cannot countenance the possibility that someone will see you as a failure because on a certain level, you're, that's, what, that's your greatest fear is people, is that being exposed about you, right? Um, and, and I mean, I think that that was, that, you know, that's, that, uh, of what I've read of, of Steve Jobs, I think that's true of him. I think 100%. That that's, you know, that's true of Moses too, right? That, so I guess the question though is, you know, and I, I keep on thinking about Steve Jobs, right? In, in uh, the, um, uh, um, in the biopic of him, um, Seth Rogen's character, uh, um, Steve Wozniak, Steve Wozniak uh, says, you know, later on in his life, he's like, um, you can be, you, you can be uh, the best at what you do and also be a good person, or you can create amazing things and be a good person, right? The two aren't binary. Um, and, and, you know, Steve Jobs 
disagrees. <laughs> he says like, no, like the reason that I'm able to create great things is because um, I don't really care about people's feelings around me. Yeah. Uh, there's truth to that, that sometimes, listen, not everyone has to do everything, right? I think that's, if we're coming back to the bulls, and I think what is apropos to what Steve Jobs is, was, or at least the script, what Aaron Sorkin is saying through Steve Jobs' right. uh, lens. Uh, by the way, one of the coolest things I own is a, is a, Steve, is a Jobs DVD signed by Aaron Sorkin. That is so, cool. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's one of the great things about what made the Bulls team different than every other team and better. Everyone had a role. Right. They had Steve Kerr was the nicest guy. He'd sign your autograph for five. If you had 100 cards, he'd sign all 100. Bill Weddington, known as that kind of guy. Will Purdue. There were guys on the team who represented the Bulls around town and around the city. Jordan's role was to stay focused and make sure they were all on the ship when it was moving to win. Instead, you know, so, but, but I think like going, going back on this, I think that, that all, to me, that, that all points to the, uh, the, the, the brilliance and the greatness of Phil Jackson too, right? Phil, Phil Jackson is the architect of, of a team in which everybody had a, a, you know, a, a particular role and everybody knew, you know, knew where they were in the symphony, right? And, uh, and, and he was the conductor. And, and, and I think to the point that we're talking about, like Phil Jackson's reputation uh, and relationship uh, with the people on his team, unless I'm mistaken, um, or, or mis miswatched the documentary, was much more positive than than the way people remember relating to and interacting with Michael Jordan. Right. So the question is, can you inspire through love, or do you have to inspire through fear? He, um, Phil Jackson, had a different role. Phil Jackson didn't have to play. The role of a, a good, great coach, and if you really watch, I'm not saying they're great people. I don't know them, but the Bill Belichick's of the world, and the and the um, even Ozzie Guillen, the year he won a World Series at the White Sox, which which a lot was Ozzie's, is a great manager def and and coach, deflects um, the negative energy towards the team or the or the responsibility. They, they the take team. that on themselves, they, just like a rabbi. How many times? Um, how many times is there someone on your staff uh, or in your congregation who there's, there's a mincing of words or a funeral? I say all the time that like how many people I've seen get mad at the synagogue after a funeral in which we did exactly what they wanted us to do. They're just grieving. And that's my job. I take on their pain. And so uh, it's a tiring job. And it is probably even more tiring to be Phil Jackson because you have a whole city looking at you, let alone you know, a, a congregation. So um, in today's world, it's way worse with social media and all these types of things. So how do you, so Phil was absolutely a, he could have been the secret sauce, but he was not the hamburger, right? Jordan was the burger and you go for the burger. That doesn't mean the other things aren't incredibly important to that burger. It just means that like, I love Phil Jackson and he has 11 titles with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Robin, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Paul Gasol. I mean, a lot of coaches would have figured out how to win. Maybe not 11, eight or nine with, with those guys, right? True. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that, that that's, a, that's a really good point, right? The, you know, the question is like, you know, could, could, he, could he have done that, you know, with, with, uh, with the bad news bears, right? Or, 
you know, uh, <laughs> well, the, the Mighty Ducks or whatever, right? The Knicks. Uh, he didn't win. But, but you know, so I, you know, having read uh, some of Phil Jackson's uh, uh, writings on this, yeah. like his argument is that on some level it's harder to win a title when you have a Michael Jordan because you have to because you have to convince them that they um, that they're not the center of the universe and that they need to uh, play as a member of a team. I read I, I like talked about Phil Jackson a couple of years ago at a um, at a, a congregational annual meeting. I used him as a as the kind of like central metaphor of the Devar Torah because you know he's he has this uh, uh he attributes it to the Hopi Indians and that's very Phil Jackson um, is saying in, in his book says uh, five fingers can't lift a pebble. Right. And so, you know, like you could have Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Scotty Pippen, Dennis Rodman, uh, Kobe Bryant on your team, but lose every single game because they will all be like doing their own thing. Unless you have somebody that can pull all those pieces together and get them to work as a hand. Yeah, it sounds like uh, also, Phil, that sounds like he's avoiding some humility uh, in the sense that, like, you know, Steve Kerr is the opposite. He's like, uh, yeah, we had Michael Jordan. Or, or like, it's really hard to coach Steph Curry. Like, you just shoot the ball. <laughs> like it's, and uh, I don't know if you've, any of you have ever coached sports. Um, I know Jesse for sure has, and at least not at a high quality um, so, I'm my daughter's softball team's coach. <laughs> exactly. I'm the assistant coach. Assistant coach. So assistant to the coach or assistant coach. <laughs> assistant to the yeah. So um, so and, you know I, I coached a handful of times and, and for for a long time and and so one of the things that was really funny was like if you ever played a team if you had a great player like who you knew was better than everyone else you just like just go. Just go do it. Like, like there's not like my sister was a very good basketball player, for, especially for Camp Ramah. Like when they played the younger Ada, I was like, Dana, you put up 20 shots, we're gonna win. That's I mean, there's just no you even if you make a fourth of those, like you're so much. There, it's just we're gonna win. And so I think that there's there was something really easy for for Phil Jackson. He's certainly a major part. Maybe it's the secret sauce, but I but he's not. A hamburger. I mean, Michael Jordan is a beast like we've never seen. Um, Kobe was close in terms of his drive and work ethic. I mean, that's really what separated Jordan from everyone else was work ethic, drive, uh, repetition. I mean, he built a freaking, um, can I say freaking on this? Sure. <laughs> so he that's built, very part of actually. <laughs> he built a basketball court on the set of Space Jam so that he could practice. I mean, yeah. Today that might seem normal, like if you watch the rock, if you follow the rock on Instagram and stuff like that. But back then, unheard of. He just he just had a, has a, had a desire to win, and that's what he wanted to be known for. What I learned from that is that actually the Mon stars were not as good athletes as you would think. Otherwise, he'd get enough practice on the set. <laughs> That's also probably true. Sean Bradley never really panned out, but a really good <laughs> TV star or movie star. Yeah, I, think that, I think that there's something, you know, really, really Jewish about that, Jeremy, that, uh, that, that we are a tradition that, um, that, that calls for regular sustained practice, right? So much of our tradition is about um, is about you know living a, a life of, of uh, spiritual discipline um, as best we can, and you know, and and 
I guess if you want to follow that metaphor, you know, further, right, then, you know, the, the greatness it's preparing you for is, you know, a life of goodness, life of righteousness, of being able to see the sanctity in, 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 in all things and in all people um, uh, and uh, being, uh, being spiritually and morally present um, in, in any given situation in any given moment, right, because you have um, been disciplined by, by those regular practices. Absolutely. I was just wondering if you could have made the um, metaphor about uh, Bill Jackson, Michael Jordan, the secret sauce and the hamburger. Like, could we make that more Chicago? Like, uh, like in, in a deep dish pizza, like who was which ingredient? Uh, is I there mean, is there actually ingredients besides just sauce and a deep dish pizza? Oh yeah, and cheese. The crust. And the crust is the, so important. Jordan's the, the crust, crust that holds it all together. Uh, maybe Phil is, but I, the crust is what I think makes deep dish pizza. By the way, uh, just a plug. I don't know if anyone watches uh, Feed Feed Phil. I think it's called Feed Phil on Netflix. They just did a, a Chicago episode. And my wife and I were betting which deep dish pizza. We both lost the bet. <laughs> we both guessed incorrectly. But uh, I, my wife is partial to Lou Malnati's because we know the Malnati's. Uh, I'm, I, I tell this to uh, the Malnati's, but the, I'm partial to Gino's East. And uh, if you can get – there was a kosher Gino's East for a little bit. I don't know that it still exists. I don't know what still exists but in Chicago. But uh, if you're in Chicago and you – Happen to eat hot dairy out, Gino's East, man. I don't think there's anything like it. <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's it's pretty close. I know it's been a while since I've uh, been to Gino's East, but uh, but it is uh, as a rabbi, I can say that I've had fewer uh, uh, spiritual, purely spiritual experiences than uh, than, than biting into a piece of uh, Gino's East deep dish. Are you saying you guys both don't still run USY on wheels buses? Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Enjoy. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take sure. care. So, Mike, any last thoughts uh, that we can glean from the Chicago Bulls from, uh, of the 90s? Um, I find it interesting how much Jerry Krause was hated, right? This, this GM who did an amazing job of taking a terrible team uh, and turning them into arguably uh, the best team in the NBA ever. Um, and uh, he continued to do his job even though people hated him. Um, what are your thoughts? On Jerry Krause? I, listen, I think that that, uh, that particular kind of, I think that probably the odds are good that if you, you know, interview any sports team in history about their feelings about the general manager of the, of the sports team, um, they're probably not going to be their favorite person. Because it's the job of the general manager to sort of break everything down into the like raw dollars and cents of who's going to be the uh, you know what's the best what's the best investments and what's the, what are the worst investments and you know what do you need to cut what do you need to trade where do you think need to go you need to think about people as commodities um, as a general manager. Uh, I, I think you know it's 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 interesting that that. Uh, field seems to be populated by so many Jewish people because it seems to me like the the least Jewish skill set I can think of on some level is to you know kind of like think about people as commodities like that but um you know so it's not surprising that uh that that Jerry Krause was was not a beloved figure um but 
no doubt an incredibly effective one in, in that role. What do you think? Um, I think he had a bit of a Napoleon complex, right? Uh, those who can't do teach, those who can't play basketball, like, uh, general manager, general manager. Um, I think he wanted to be recognized, um, for the championships. And I think he was upset that he wasn't, he was upset that, that it was, Jordan and Pippen and Rodman and Grant and Kerr, right? Even Steve Kerr, who arguably is is one of the best uh, coaches in, in the NBA right now. Um, but uh, I think he wanted to – he also lacked humility in a different way. He wanted to be recognized for uh, successes and blessings that he himself did not necessarily have. Well, this is, you know, that it's, it's uh, perpetually a challenge, right? And I think it requires a certain kind of person, a certain kind of skill set to, to be in a role like that. But, um, you know, I mean, I grew up with, with another dominant 90s sports team. I grew up in Atlanta, and it was the era of the Atlanta Braves. Um, and, the, you know, arguably the most important person in the franchise during that era was John Sherholtz, the general manager. He, he built that team. Uh, but uh, but the but the credit for you know the, uh, the the those dominant Braves years were the the pitching rotation of you know your Greg Maddox's your John uh, Smoltz's your Tom Glavins um, you know some of your some of your more key players like like Chipper Jones uh, and the manager Bobby Cox you know uh, that's 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 sort of the the nature of this uh, beast that. You know the that the 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 players, the, especially the marquee players, are going to be the ones who get the credit and the glory for uh, for for winning the games, and and arguably they have a point to make because like they're the ones who are actually there on the court. Um, uh, you know, uh, and maybe the coaches, right? Although usually it's you know players win, coaches lose, uh, but and not the back office staff. You know, I think that, you know, rabbis, especially within congregations, but the ones who lead organizations, you know, have this too, that like when you're, when you're the, when you're the, uh, uh, when you're the public face of, of an institution, the success or failure of the institution somehow, some usually rests on your shoulders um, and is associated with your personality, uh, which means that when things go well, you sometimes get the glory. Uh, when things go poorly, you often get the blame. But the back office staff, who, who are doing a significant amount of the work, um, don't always get to share in that glory. But also, sure. you know, conversely, don't have to don't have to share in in the pain of the failures. Um, so it's a it's a it's 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 a you know there's it's a mixed bag, right? If the if the Bulls if the Bulls didn't have you know a decade of uh, of, of championships nearly a decade of championships. Um, would Jerry Krause have uh, uh, like claimed ownership of the, the team's, you know, rank and status? My guess is probably not. My guess is he would have like quietly said, you know, well, I can't, I can't make the players play better, you know? Uh, so it's a, it's a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, I appreciate what you said about those. Um, 
not always getting the credit that they deserve. Um, I think about uh, the many volunteers and lay leaders and yeah. my own synagogue and all of our communities and Jewish organizations. Um, they're the ones who uh, are, are putting in blood, sweat, and tears, uh, especially during a financial crisis to keep our institutions going. Um, and for many of them, right, they have a full-time job and, and taking this on as right. essentially a second volunteer full-time job. Uh, and it's uh, often the clergy, it's the leadership team, it's the staff that get recognized. Um, and we don't um, recognize those um, in the background enough. Uh, and they deserve to, to be recognized. Um, but Jerry Krauss also kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I, 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 I'm just thinking about this, you know, if, we're, if, we're, if we take the metaphor, you know, into the more, even deeper into the religious realm, you know, uh, is Jerry Krause may have loved this analogy, but is, but is God the general manager of the world, right? And, uh, and so, you know, should, I think about this during prayer, right? We, we spend a lot of prayer praising God and God's role in our lives and God's role in, in creation. But also, you know, that, that does, if you think about it, minimize um, or could minimize um, human role and human agency. But yet Judaism doesn't say that, right? Judaism says, yes, right. God is present in the world and God uh, is the, the source of creation. Uh, but we are free agents. Uh, God doesn't control our actions. We have, uh, we, you know, we, we have moral choice. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we get the, uh, uh, at least some degree of the credit for when we do things well, when we do things right, when we, you know, build holy community and when we pursue justice and we do good, when we, 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 you know, do acts of kindness. Um, and we, I think justifiably, uh, uh, should shoulder the burden of blame when, uh, when, when, when things fail. Right. Um, and I think that's even true on a, on a broader level, you know, we're, we're in the midst right now of, you know, uh, massive nationwide protests, uh, uh around the murder of, of George Floyd. Um, you know, we were just talking with, with uh, Rabbi Fine about this and with Jeremy about this before because he's in Minneapolis or he's in the Twin Cities. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, we, we bear responsibility for, um, for, for a, a society in which um, unarmed uh, black men are, are, are um, unlawfully killed by police officers um, on too routine a basis. Right. Um, you know, that's that's not on God. That's on us. Right. So God may be the GM. Right. But but we're the players in the game. Right. And 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 if we lose, um, you know, we, we have to take responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, as we're processing what's going on in, in our country, um, and how we as a country need to respond to it. I think that uh, we'll, we'll need a whole nother episode to really talk out um, uh, along with our, our, you know, um, not us, right, two white men of privilege. Right. Um, but, but really to have our, our brothers and sisters, uh, people of color, uh, sharing this conversation with us uh, to better understand what we as a nation need to do um, right now um, to, to deal with what is really... Uh, the the a symptom of the roots problem which is that our country was founded on systemic racism 
uh, and and it has evolved and changed uh, but it's uh, part uh, it's part of the fabric of our nation and we have to upend that idea in order to really change police brutality or anything else in this country right so that that that's a good uh, um, uh, marker for uh, our next uh, our next pod um that, that's probably the conversation that we that we really ought to be having next um because um you know it's 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 uh, it's inescapable um and you know I I, I I i i i like you you know have have spent the past couple of weeks um heartbroken and angry um and um and uh you know, emotionally and morally exhausted uh, by by what's going on, um, yeah. and so uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, our uh, picking up that conversation and and um, really really taking it with some uh, thoughtfulness and seriousness. Amen to that. Well, until uh, until next time, I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky, and I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. Be safe, stay healthy, take care of yourselves.